Chart Chat is a member of the Tiege.fm network from WTJU Radio. Find out more at Tiege.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. everybody it's monday june 3rd 2019 i'm tanner green and i'm caitlin flay and you're listening to chart chat your weekly guide to the past week of pop singles hitting the u.s and uk charts caitlin i have recovered from a nightmare cold i could not sleep until 6 a.m one night and then 3 a.m the next night so it's a bit of a doozy but i'm glad to be back thanks for holding down the fort while i was gone how's it going It's going well. I'm so happy you're back, though, because honestly, if I had to read through all of these debuts by myself, I just wouldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a lot for both of us. So bear with us as we run through these chart entries. We'll try to make it interesting. But uh, here in the U.S., we've got two, not just one, but two big old album bombs. So you'll notice some trends as we get going. We start at number 91 where DJ Khaled featuring Meek Mill and Lil Baby debut with Weather the Storm. The first of many Tyler the Creator tracks debuts at number 88. That one's called Puppet. What If I Never Get Over You by Lady Antebellum debuts at number 86. And then we've got a whole slew of Tyler the Creator tracks. We've got What's Good, A Boy is a Gun, New Magic Wand, Igor's Theme, and Running Out of Time. Those debut at number 85, 74, 70, 67, and 65, respectively. And if you're still hanging on out there, we jump back over to DJ Khaled at number 57, the song Jealous featuring Chris Brown, Lil Wayne, and Big Sean. And then another DJ Khaled track, this one's called Celebrate, debuts at number 52, features Travis Scott and Post Malone. And then we whip back over to Mr. The Creator at number 51 with I Think. Back to DJ Khaled, got four in a row. First one's called You Stay, and that features Meek Mill, J Balvin, Lil Baby, and Jeremy. Debuts at number 44. Right above that, at number 43, we've got DJ Khaled featuring SZA, the song Just Us. Then we jump up to number 21, where we've got DJ Khaled featuring the late Nipsey Hussle and John Legend with the song Higher. The last DJ Khaled track cracks the top 20 this week. It's called Wish Wish, debuting at number 19. That features Cardi B and 21 Savage. Keeping the train going this time at number 15, where we've got Halsey and her song Nightmare. And then finally, highest debut of the week, Capping a super busy chart week. Tyler, the creator, number 13, in all caps, Earthquake. All right, Caitlin, bring us the gauntlet. Woo, okay. So luckily, the UK limits those entries to the two big albums that Tanner had to run through to three songs each. So we won't have that many in the blocks. However, we do have a couple Eurovision songs on here that have influenced the longevity of this section of the podcast. We're going to start at number 96, and that's Madison Beer with her song Dear Society. Pop Out, that's by Polo G and Lil TJ, debuts at number 80 last week. At number 76, we have One Republic with the song Rescue Me. Doing Time by Lana Del Rey debuts at number 75 on the UK official charts and not on the Billboard Hot 100. American Friends, get on that streaming, please. At number 73, 
We have the song Soldi by Mahmood. At number 70, Charlie XCX and Lizzo debut with Blame It On Your Love. At number 68, we had a surprise, Slipknot, with the song Unsainted. Arcade by Duncan Lawrence, that's one of our Eurovision songs, debuted at number 67. Hypersonic Missiles by Sam Fender debuts one step above that at 66. At 61, we have the Norway entry from Eurovision. That's Kino with Spirit in the Sky. Super weird song. Check it out. P4DP by Digga D debuts at 54. And at number 50, we have Slow Tie featuring Skepta with the song Inglorious. Now we're going to hit some of the uh, list that Tanner gave us. So we have DJ Khaled, Travis Scott, and Post Malone at number 48 with Celebrate. Higher, that's DJ Khaled, Dipsy Hustle, and John Legend at 43. And first of Tyler, the creator at 41, that's Igor's theme. Going back to DJ Khaled, Jealous, I feel like a sports announcer. DJ Khaled, Lil Wayne, Chris Brown, Big Sean, 37. And then at number 30, we go back to Tyler with I Think. And then we have similar, actually no, not similar, exact same top two songs on both charts this week and that's halsey's nightmare and tyler the creator's earthquake at number 26 and 17 (gasps) tanner i need to recover from that take it away so as you could probably guess from listening to me monologue about the debuts this week uh we're gonna talk about the album bomb but the question is which album bomb tyler the creator or dj khaled because instead of talking about them both, we're going to go with the one that I think is more interesting and also happened to notch the higher sales figures in its first week of release. And that's Tyler, the creator, and his new album, Igor. So depending on semantics, this is either Tyler's fifth or sixth album, depending on if you count his first mixtape as an album like he does. But as far as the charts are concerned, this is his fifth album to debut within the top five of the Billboard 200 and his very first to hit number one. And in Hot 100 terms, Tyler's never been this omnipresent before. Before hitting the chart this week with eight songs from Igor, which is two-thirds of the entire album, Tyler had only made three previous appearances on the Hot 100, and the highest of those peaked only at number 87. The success of these songs is definitely a testament to the pervasiveness of streaming, as we've discussed plenty of times before, but Tyler's also come into his own as an artist acclaimed for this sort of creative autonomy and musical experimentation. Listeners might be familiar with his previous album, titled Flower Boy. And that was entirely self-produced, and even garnered a nomination for Best Rap Album at the 2018 Grammys. And now, here in 2019 with Igor, Tyler, the creator, has once again released an entirely self-produced album. It's all him. And it sees him moving even further into sonic territory that's very reminiscent of 60s and 70s soul music. And in thinking about which songs to play clips of this week, I don't think there's a better candidate than the track Puppet. Before we listen to a clip, just want to highlight, pay special attention to the instrumentation here and the timbres. Once again, Tyler, the creator, Puppet. I'm your puppet. You control me. I'm your puppet. I don't know me.
the timbre of the background harmonies, the drum timbres, the synthetic strings that sound a little bit like a Mellotron, and I think I've mentioned Mellotrons before on the show. This song makes all sorts of references and uses of pop textures of the past. And most importantly of all, I would argue, there are those chimes in the background. And those chimes are part of the illusion that this song is making to a soul hit from that era that Tyler's evoking throughout Igor. The song being referenced is called I'm Your Puppet, and that's by James and Bobby Purify. Came out in 1966 and went all the way to number six on the Hot 100. So Tyler clearly knows the history of the sounds he's borrowing. And if I could just jump in for a second, I mentioned to Tanner last night that I got really strong Kendrick Lamar and very strong Ye, as in Kanye, vibes from this new album. And listening to Puppet immediately threw me back to Kendrick Lamar's third studio album, To Pimp a Butterfly. And I, I think there's obviously this soul, funk, R&B, gospel-y, and other weird experimental production, songwriting, structural techniques going on in both To Pimp a Butterfly and Igor. I would probably say, though, I just don't know if I believe it in Tyler, the Creator's case, or maybe I don't buy into it as much in Tyler, the Creator's case as I did to Kendrick or Kanye albums. I, I mean, you could pick any track from To Pimp a Butterfly and hear, I think, similarities in how Kendrick and Tyler create songs. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, I definitely get the Kanye comparison. There's actually a track on Igor uh, titled A Boy Is A Gun, and that samples the same song that, if you remember the Kanye West track, uh, Bound To, the very last track off of Yeezus, to fall in love. Both of those two songs sample the same song. So Tyler's even using similar source material as Kanye in putting this album together. And this happens throughout Igor, this sort of borrowing, and Tyler's often completely leaving rapping behind for singing, or as we heard on Puppet, some kind of in-between singing, half-singing. It's weird. But I think it works really well for the subject matter of this album which is all about a crumbling relationship with the man who's kind of stuck in this love triangle between his girlfriend and Igor slash Tyler. And that, unfortunately, kind of brings me to the place where Igor loses me, which is its production, particularly on the first half of the album. And this is where I start kind of struggling to put my ambivalence into words. Tyler's pursuit of a rough, almost DIY aesthetic makes total sense, again, with the lyrics crumbling relationship you've got this sort of blown out very ramshackle sound it makes sense since a lot of the songs are about some form of loss or wrongdoing but man i just don't like the production on this kind of at all there's a lot of empty space in the arrangements there's very little bass and i, I feel like i'm already talking in circles because it's a very intentional choice and it's something that suits the lyrics but maybe it's also the fact that I don't think the songwriting, and particularly the melodies, are that compelling. They seem pretty inconsistent to me. For example, let's listen, uh, this is the highest charting song from Igor, again, breaking the top 20, Earthquake. Cause you make my earthquake, oh, you make my earthquake. 
So Tyler actually wrote the song originally for Justin Bieber, but Bieber turned it down, and I have to say I kind of completely understand why. My love for repetition runs very, very deep, but this song really just feels like a two-interval vamp. Just the boo-boo, boo-boo, just stretched out for too long and with not a whole lot going in between. It's not the roughness of the vocals that bother me. I actually think Tyler's sort of imprecise singing does a really good job of projecting this kind of salty mix of desire and regret, but the verses go absolutely nowhere. The beat, there's some nice touches. Caitlin mentioned the uh, kind of background synth squiggles during the chorus, but overall the beat just kind of wafts by. I just feel bad. This is one of those albums where, on paper, I would absolutely love this. I was excited to sit down and listen to this album, both from the reputation that Tyler has garnered over the past years as a sort of auteur figure in hip-hop, and also because the subject matter sounded really compelling and interesting, and my friends were super into it, and then I listened to it, and it's just not clicking with me at all, even though I'm trying really, really hard. And it feels like this happens for me every so often. Last year, there was Mitski's album, Be the Cowboy, that everyone loved, and I listened to and just completely bounced off of. And that's happening again with Igor in ways that I still, again, kind of find hard to articulate why, but I'm hoping that maybe someday it'll click with me. But until then, what you thinking, Caitlin? I'm feeling a similar type of way, honestly. I believe that the album is trying to do too many different things. It's trying to be too many different things. Like, you obviously have all of these really cool soul gospel samples, but then he's rapping and singing. Are some of the songs ballads? It, at some points, I feel like it's chill EDM. There's just so much, especially contained within each song. Like, I feel like you could pick any one of these songs and be like, wow, there are, I could label seven different genres that I hear in this. And sometimes that's a little bit overwhelming for me. I also hear some Metal and Beastie Boys influence in What's Good. So I'd point listeners to that song if you're kind of into rock. But that was just a random thought I had while listening to the album this week. So I do commend him, though for pulling all of those influences together because it must have been really hard. But I'm going to try, I think, and do my best to describe why I'm not super blown away by the album and how it kind of sits in my ears. So I don't know if we've mentioned this term on the podcast before, but furniture music? Tanner, do you recall ever talking about this? I think you've mentioned it, sort of a predecessor concept to ambient music, yeah. Yes. Okay. Excellent. So this is just kind of a refresher. So pianist composer Eric Satie coined this term in the early 20th century, and it was basically just a label for background music or ambient music, like Tanner said. But it's also deeper than that. It meant music literally written for the sole purpose of being played in the background, not just things that people choose like, oh, that sounds nice. You know, we're going to just play jazz at our garden party. Like, no, this music was specifically written to be in the background. And I think this is exactly what Igor is. It's rap's version of furniture music. And maybe with the exception of two tracks, that one I mentioned before, What's Good, and the song New Magic Wand, those are a little intrusive at times. Regardless, I don't know if that makes sense. It's just kind of this background album, which is totally fine, but I think it's hard to get hyped about that kind of thing 
especially if you're me, it's almost like you're not supposed to. I don't, <laughs> you know, like if, it, if it's meant to be played in the background, you don't want to be like, heck yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, that's where I am. It, it kind of strung me out a little bit. I think your comparison makes sense. I just don't know if I agree with it. Like, to, like maybe it's because I haven't listened to this album in the background. The times I've listened to this album have been very, like, I'm going to lay on the couch and just listen really hard and try to hear what other people are hearing, and I'm not hearing it. So I almost wonder if I were to take a more casual approach to it, I'd hear something different in it. I don't know. I'm going to have to stew on that. I'm going to have to ponder and reflect. But while I do that, what's over in the UK? What's hot? What's new? What's fresh? Let's talk about all this freshness, including Duncan Lawrence. This is the 2019 Eurovision winner from the Netherlands. And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this European song competition before, but just as a refresher, it's one of my favorite things in the universe, so let's talk about it. Eurovision happens every single year. It's kind of like a European musical pageant. So the contest began back in the mid-1950s as a way for Europe to kind of come together after World War II was basically destroyed. So here's how it works. It's very, very detailed and confusing, but I've boiled it down to three stages. First, all participating countries. The United States cannot participate in this competition. Sidebar. All participating countries have a national contest where people vote on which song should represent their country at Eurovision that year. Then, stage two, all of the countries battle it out in this kind of football, soccer, World Cup type way, except the people of Europe vote for the songs and artists in all the different countries until there are only 26 countries left. Like, they kind of do semi-final face-offs. Another sidebar... The host nation, so the nation that won the previous year, along with the Big Five, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the UK, automatically qualify each year, which is highly unfair. However, that would be another conversation. And then stage three. The final is televised, and all 26 countries get three minutes to make a good impression with whatever song slash artist they voted upon in the preliminary stages, so the songs and artists can't change. This whole time, which I think is fascinating because you think of something like American Idol, right? And each of the artists show their development and it's different songs each week. You get a sense of their style, but it's literally just one song. Okay. So when this final is televised, the entire continent of Europe votes American Idol style. So there's a public vote, but there's also professional judges assigned to each country and they also have a vote. So there's all this politicking that happens at the competition, like, hey, Russia, I'll vote for you if you vote for Estonia kind of deal. Wild. I just love this competition so much. And just to give you a sense of past greats that have won Eurovision, ABBA won it in 1974 before they became famous. Celine Dion also won back in the day before she became, like, the Titanic lady. So you could say it's kind of like the first step to stardom for some people. However, there's also no prize. So that's really your only gift is, oh, you might become famous one day if you win Eurovision. The only thing that's won, like I said before, is whatever country wins gets to host next year and is automatically qualified for the final. Wild. Okay. 
Having all of that competition in mind, let's listen to this year's winner. Again, Duncan Lawrence and his song, Arcade. Is all that's left I'm still fixing all the cracks Lost a couple of pieces when I carried it, carried it, carried it home I'm afraid of all I am My mind feels like a foreign land song got the Netherlands a total of 498 points, 237 from the judges, 261 from the public. Also, Lawrence is the fifth Dutch entrant to ever win the competition. But it's been 44 years since the last Dutch win, so that's super exciting for them. Clearly, I'm very obsessed with Eurovision, so let's talk about the track. I think he has such a lovely voice. I hear Sam Smith, I hear John Bellion, and I love that vibe. It seems kind of obvious, too, that the vocals are what you're supposed to focus on in this song, given the very sparse instrumentation and the very jarring changes in instrumentation. They're quiet, they're in the background, but if you listen to kind of the piano synthesizer, very soft instrumentation in the verse, and then you go to this kind of uh, finger-picking guitar to, like, big drums. It's all very jarring. Anyway, uh, the vocals are very close in those verses until the chorus, and there's this huge echo effect along with some layering and doubling, which kind of makes it sound like they're backup singers, Sam Smith. I will say... The addition of strings in the last chorus, if you listen to that full song, is super surprising and very nice. It's just, they're almost just like dropped in. Did you ever play Zoo Tycoon as a kid, Tanner? I unfortunately did not. I played some Roller Coaster Tycoon, but I did not have the good fortune of Zoo Tycoon in my life, no. Oh, so sad. Well, similar idea, right? You can just like pick up a human and drop it like in the middle of a roller coaster or in the middle of the lion's den. That's kind of how the instrumentation in my mind worked here. I was like, whoa, you just like are throwing random groups of instruments at various points in the song. And I I kind of like that, admittedly. It was a fun test of my attention this week. Overall, I think the thing I like most about the song is the metaphor. So in the lyrics, it's the song is called Arcade, and there's this picture that's painted of like a kid putting money into an arcade game that you know you're gonna lose and then that's a metaphor for putting effort into a relationship you know is gonna end oh wow I don't know why that like hit me of like wow I really like this but it was super emotional maybe it was all of those things put together despite 
all of the great things I have to say about this song. I'm not super into it. It might sound like I am, and I will defend it because I assume that Tanner is going to rip this to shreds in a second. But as far as Eurovision goes, I think this song is definitely solid. It made me feel feelings, and that's the great thing about pop music. Tanner, unleash the beast. <laughs> I'm not gonna rip this song to shreds. Ha! <laughs> totally are. Instead, I'm going to give you a real-time play-by-play of my impressions as I was listening to it. I was super into it at the beginning. The verses are super graceful, super poised. I'm totally with you on the singing. Lawrence's voice is really fantastic. The accompaniment is really nice, really subtle. And then the pre-chorus happens and you have some instruments drop out. And literally as this pre-chorus is going, I'm thinking, (laughs) oh no, wait a minute. We're going to get, oh, he's going to hit us with the whoa-oh-ohs. And then like two seconds later, we get that. And we don't just get that, we get that like full bore just slap across the face. It feels so out of place, even besides my sort of pre-existing aversion to the woes. It feels totally out of place in comparison with the verses, completely undoes the effect of the verses. It made me think of Halsey's track from this week, Nightmare, which I think is a much better example of the really stark contrast between soft and loud. But here it just feels totally arbitrary. I don't know. It just doesn't work. It makes me want to go listen to your Lewis Capaldi's, your Dean Lewis's, kind of in that similar sort of easy listening singer songwritery thing. I don't know. I'm bummed because I really did like those verses. I want to play a clip of Halsey's Nightmare just to give us something to compare it to in our ears. So let's do that. I could cut some parts off with some scissors Come on little lady, give us a smile No, I ain't got nothing to smile about I've got no one to smile for I waited a while for a moment to say I don't Oh, you a goddamn So even in that clip, I, I I can see what you mean, because it's not as jarring. I just don't like it. I feel so bad. <laughs> I digress, though. I digress. No, I think that's fair. I, I just, when I listen to the verses of Nightmare, there's still that sort of underlying menace or tension that I think the chorus then fulfills, whereas I don't hear that same sort of through line in this Lawrence track but maybe there'll be more. Who knows? Oh, I certainly hope so. But until then, we're going to have to talk about another track on the UK official charts from last week, and that is going to be Inglorious. So this is Slow Tie's first ever appearance on the UK official charts, most likely thanks to the feature on this track, the one and only person I talked about last week, Skepta. If you listened to that solo episode from last week, You probably remember me saying that I'd be on the lookout for another single release from Skepta. Well, we didn't get one. (laughs) But this song, Inglorious, comes not from Skepta's new album, Ignorance is Bliss, but from Slow Tie's debut album, Nothing Great About Britain. That album was released on May 17th of this year, 
And it cracked the top 10 of the UK albums chart, which is super impressive for someone who hasn't really made an impact on the charts before. So I'd also like to say that it's not every episode I get a super excellent gem for my academic research. Slow Tie was not on my radar before this week, and I'm super thankful for this podcast because I have yet another interesting case study for my academic path. Obviously, the album title, Nothing Great About Britain, says a lot about Slow Tie's political leanings and the direction he takes in a lot of his songs. He's pretty outspoken about all kinds and structures of authority. But let's talk about Slow Tie as a person for a second. So his proper name is Tyron Camon Frampton. He's 24 years old, born in Northampton, England, so that's uh, north of London, a little more central England. He's of Barbadian and Irish descent. He grew up living in a predominantly white estate housing area in Northampton, and he was raised by a single mother. He also apparently suffered the loss of one of his siblings early on in life, and he seemed to be interested in music throughout that struggle, throughout his struggles with school, throughout his struggles trying to work, and he put all of that stuff aside and kind of focused on music more recently in the past couple of years. He released a lot of EPs and singles under the name Bone Soda, <laughs> which is probably the wor- literally the worst name for a rapper that I've ever heard. Slow Tie is much better. But now he releases under, like I said, Slow Tie, which is a reference to a speech impediment he had as a kid, and some argue that he still has. And I did, in preparing for this podcast, I listened to some video interviews, and it's not really apparent. It might just be his accent. I don't know. You can check it out for yourself. Having said all that, let's listen to Inglorious. The first rapper you're going to hear on the track is Slow Tie, and then Skepta comes in with his verse after. From the fire rose of Phoenix, where's the fire weed? From the ash stems and leaves that's representing tea And even when I die I come back twice as legendary Tears when I sit in the cemetery Flashbacks, slipping packs, it was ketamine huh? Now I'm feeling hoarse, school of life, one no course You're a tourist, only roll with the purest It's been sure, eh? Inglorious pops phenomenal Phenomenal, put a hole in us, cool, yeah Inglorious pops phenomenal this song qualifies as a diss track maybe it's not specific though because the lyrics just kind of reference slow tie and skepta being lone wolves and generally being better than everyone else i do think the generalities of the disses allow for the song to make comments on the uk's socio-political climate with Theresa may recently resigning in the midst of the brexit crisis And that not only speaks to 
the track we just heard, but the larger political themes and targets of Slow Tie's album overall, I definitely recommend listening. The track that we have on offer this week is not super exciting. I did get to listen to a bunch of Slow Tie's previous releases that I definitely liked a lot more. But one thing that was different from last week's Skepta selection was that Inglorious Moves. I just, I didn't get that feeling that the song was ever behind the beat. My last comment about the song is going to be Slow Tie's voice. It's interesting. It sounds like he strains a lot. He's screaming a lot in this, especially at the ends of phrases. And especially compared to Skepta, Slow Tie even makes reference to his voice being a little bit hoarse. And I think having that harsh, shrill, kind of trebly voice next to Skepta's really deep and smooth voice is a really nice textural contrast. I vibe with it. It's fine. Tanner? Eh, it's okay. I don't know. I got kind of bored. <laughs> like, I feel I, I, I'm trying not to be flippant. Uh, it's fine. I think I found Skepta a lot more interesting of a vocal presence than Slow Tie, but that could just be the specificity of this particular track. I have not heard any of the rest of this album. I know it's generally pretty well regarded in the critical sort of consensus, uh, but I haven't heard that. I haven't heard any of his past stuff, so I might have to bug you for some links after we finish recording, but it's okay. I honestly don't really have a lot to say. And that's okay, too. Thanks so much for listening to Chart Chat. If you'd like to listen to all of this past week's chart debuts, you can find a Spotify playlist in the show notes. And if you have any questions for us, you can always get in touch via email at chartchatcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Coronation Media for our cover art and intro theme. Thank you to Teej for having us on the network. To learn more, visit teej.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. Thanks again for listening. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Tanner. And we will catch you next week.